Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. Haven't talked to you guys for about two weeks. Hope everyone's doing well. We have a new commit to discuss, which we kind of talked about a little bit in the past show, but it finally came to fruition. Got to talk about the Penn State Combine performance by a couple guys that were in the NFL Combine. Penn State running back star is on the move in the NFL. We'll discuss that a little bit. James Franklin had his media day and maybe potentially gave us a shout out without realizing it. I don't know. Um, and he had a lot of other interesting things to discuss and talk about today. Do you have some fan questions that we should go over briefly? And then spring practice has officially started. So we got a jam-packed show today. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? You are muted, Sean. Off to a Natural, great start. Naturally, naturally. <laughs> um, so, at, so um, you know, I'm Sean from Hardcore Penn State Football, as featured in the James Franklin press conference. So, if you're listening, what's up, coach? How are you today, Corey? I'm doing well. I'm pretty sure that I don't know if James Franklin necessarily listens to us. Well, whoever. <laughs> but I'm I am now convinced that somebody in the last building is listening to us. Seriously. I know. So hello. I mean, the people person. definitely people definitely see our tweets. I mean, that's yeah. We have we have some of the best Twitter game out there. Uh, there's no questions about that. Um Oh, you know, I didn't even mention that we're going to be drafting the Penn State Bowl games in the intro, but we'll be doing that, too. So a lot to do today. Um, let's start. Oh, I was going to say something else about you being muted, but I forgot. Um, let's start with a new commit. Um, I think we're going to be more recruit heavy here now that the quiet period is over and visits are happening again. But um, so we'll get more in recruiting. Obviously, we hit recruiting really hard once we get in June, especially. Um, but defensive back Kenneth Wosley, who we spoke about a bunch on the last episode. So if you want a more in-depth conversation about Wosley that happened on the last episode, because I think it was the Wednesday before the Friday commit. And we all kind of knew he was going to commit to Penn State. 
but four-star corner from Emotep in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Penn State's had some success at Emotep in the past, but Philadelphia is always good because Penn State hasn't had a bunch of success in Philadelphia. Uh, some good news in that regard, too, that I kind of buried in the lead uh, that we need to discuss. But uh, but big get here, Sean. I mean, this is the fourth member of the 2024 class now. And I think I, although this was a, a pretty confident or a pretty easy commit, you would argue, for Penn State, it's not like Quentin Martin or anything like that uh, as, as far as probably coming down to the wire this is these are the guys you kind of have to get in, in the state of pennsylvania yeah yeah and like you said Tep kid philly kid um and with um deon barnes being hired as defensive line coach which we'll get into um that's the emphasis uh philadelphia and just looking at Wosley himself you know i noticed the at Tep they moved him around a lot uh, there were certain plays that he'd be that he they would send him on blitzes. He would drop back into coverage. It looks like they would even use him at safety at times. So, yeah, definitely a nice commit. Um, good offer sheet too, pretty extensive. Uh, had a Georgia and Michigan offer. I and frankly, I don't know if they were committable offers or not, but they were at least on their radar. But he was at least on their radar. So, like Corey said, the type of kid that you need to be able to secure uh, in your own backyard. Yeah, um, it's probably not fair to compare him to um, the 2023 corner, who I am sort of forgetting off the top of my head here. Hold on. The in-state corner that Lamont Payne. I think Lamont Payne might be two inches taller than him, but kind of the same level as far as prestige goes. Yeah. could be a big member of the class, but it'll be an interesting one to kind of to see, you know, is he going to probably red, probably, probably going to be a red shirt, but we'll have to wait and see early, early on, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I could see that too. It could take him a little while. Uh, he's, I think, 5'10", 5'11", and 170 pounds. So he might, you know, might want to get a little bit bigger. It'll be interesting to see if he enrolls early too, because a lot of time, a lot of times that dictates whether or not, um, you know, they redshirt year or not. And but don't forget at the same time, you have four games now to play. Right. Where you get redshirted. So well, let's move on to the NFL combine. Um Parker Washington really didn't do much because of his injury that he suffered. Really, there's there's just a couple people I wanted to talk about. Brent Strange did really well on the bench. Uh Juice Krugs ran a five two two forty. Mitch Tinsley ran a 460-40, had a 10-foot broad, 32-and-3-eighths arms, which I thought was pretty impressive for him. Uh, P.J. Mustafer noticeably looked healthier. Top 10 in most drills that I saw. Looked like he thinned down a little bit, just looked really athletic. So that was nice to see from P.J. But really, I think the talk really surrounded around um, – Tig Brown and Joey Porter Jr. Uh, Tig Brown, 18 reps on the bench, which I think was was up there, top five. Ten and one-eighth hands, nine foot, 11 inches on his broad. But really, Sean, I wanted to talk about Tig Brown and Joey Porter Jr. in the same way when it regards to their 40 time. Tig was a 4.65, and Joey Porter Jr. was a 4.46. And... 
I don't know if Tig Brown made himself money. I think Joey Porter Jr. is running sub four or five, solidified himself as a first round pick. What are your thoughts specifically? I guess what about and all any of the guys, but I guess really I want to focus on those two. Yeah, uh, I'll start with Porter. So Joey Porter did what he needed to do to be a top ten to fifteen pick. He uh, wanted to run in the four fours. He ran in the four fours. Um, and you know in the workout portion. He did. He did well. He he did a good job as well. Um, and we know just what a you know measurables like his wingspan is huge for a quarterback, and he's lanky. So yeah, he did everything. He checked all the boxes at the combine. Uh, you know, Tig it, frankly didn't check all the boxes at the combine. And look, I'm not big into saying. A forty time determines how fast how fast you are. I mean, yeah, it determines how fast you can run forty yards straight. But as far as quickness and anticipation, uh, lateral movement, like that stuff is all more important when you're playing safety. And if you pop on the tape, um, you'll see you'll see that Tig Brown is plenty fast enough to play at the next level. And, um. You know, I remember when we were talking about Allen Robinson in our draft, and Allen Robinson, I believe, he ran a slow 40, and it cost him in the draft. But I remember at the time thinking, like, these these teams are crazy, because Allen Robinson has enough football speed. Just watch him play against talented athletes. And it's the same thing with Tig Brown. He, you know, you can't teach instincts, and you know, the way he moves laterally and in the workout portion of his drills, he did fine. Like he looked like he looked like the guy we expected to see. So if you're an NFL team, if you have joined Penn State and are watching us, do not be scared of Tig Brown's 40 time because he's going to be fine. He's plenty fast enough. And uh, yeah. And then, yeah, Parker supposedly uh, had a lower body injury. Um, so it wasn't surprising that he didn't really run. He didn't do very much. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think PJ probably helped himself a little bit. And, um, that's, and that's really, that's really cool to see. Uh, I agree with you. I think he looked healthier. He looked trimmed. Um, God, and it pains me to say this as a Dolphins fan, but he seems like a Patriot. He seems like a Bill Belichick type of guy, and I do not mean that as a slight, but I just think of him as like that 3-4 end, or, or maybe even, he might even beef up to be a nose tackle. Like he could play all over in that in that multiple-look defense defensive scheme that they have. I mean, I and just dedicated, hardworking guy, and Bill Belichick was working hard with them at the Senior Bowl, so... I really hope he doesn't end up with Bill Belichick, but I can see it. And I also think Joey Porter Jr. is probably going to be a Steeler, which would be awful. Well, they just picked up Patrick Peterson, so I'm curious if they still want to get a first-round pick. The Steelers did? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Patrick Peterson. He's old. um, Yeah, yeah, he's he's childhood friends with Frederick Douglass. I mean, you know, I mean, the guy is ancient, so I don't know how long he's going to be around for. Yeah, no, I'm just, I just wanted to throw that because Cam Sutton did go to the Detroit Lions and then they got Patrick Peterson. Yeah. So we'll see there. Um, yeah, 
I hate to say this because I think he's a second round talent. I, I think Jair Brown may have fallen to the third round. I think that's probably where he he I think he was fringe second round before the, the draft or excuse me, the combine. And I don't think he necessarily if he runs four or five or sub four or five, I think he's a second round pick. Um, I may I even if people value him as a second rounder, I think they all think they can get him in the third round. So we'll have to see yeah. there. Um, we told everybody that people were going to freak out about Joey Porter Jr.'s arms. And, and sure enough, they did. Thirty four. I have thirty. Is that right? That can't be right. I guess I guess it is thirty four inches for his arms. Yeah, airplane style there. Uh, and 17 reps on the bench, which was second best for corners, which I I mean, you just don't think usually long arms means you don't bench well. I think he kind of just disproved that forever because he 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 repped those out. So, um, Sean, I'm going to put you on a spot. Do you know when Penn State's Pro Day is? I do not. Okay. I do not. It's, it's usually April at some point, but... We'll get that information for you in a second. But, um, yeah, uh, any other final thoughts on the Combine stuff before we kind of say goodbye to that? Um, Sean Clifford should have been invited. Yeah. But outside of that, um, no, nah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's very possible Tiggs slid down into the third round. Would I – be comfortable drafting him in the second round if I was an NFL GM. Yeah. But the problem is I'm not an NFL GM. But, you know, if if it ta- if like if the Dolphins drafted Jagger Brown in the second round, I'd be all right with that. I might say we well we could have probably got him in the third round, but I'd be fine with him because I think he is a second round talent. Uh Penn State March twenty fourth will be their pro day. Oh, that's soon. Yeah. Nine yeah, days from now. Yeah. We try not to do math on the show. So um, try to stay far. And, oh, you know what I was going to say at uh, the beginning there? Um, we hit 5,000 followers on Twitter. So thank you guys for that at Hardcore PSUFB. We appreciate that. Um, that's right. Um, okay. I wanted to we, – we can't bury the lead anymore. We talked about him a lot in the last episode, but Dion Barnes officially now the defensive line coach at Penn State. If you haven't seen the video yet of how James Franklin told the team, it's very good. He, he pretends that he's going to let in the new defensive line coach, and he opens the door, no one walks in, and he points at Dion Barnes and tells him that he's he indeed is the new new defensive line coach. A lot of the guys, you know, dogpile him at that point, and. Uh, Franklin said he, you know, Dion Barnes killed it in the interview process. So it seems like the due diligence was done, Sean. And maybe they looked around a little bit to gauge some interest, but I don't think there was probably that many people ahead of Dion Barnes. No, and there there may not have been any. Like he the, they might have just kept going back to Dion. And yeah, I'm I'm cool with it, and I'm happy they took their due diligence, and they didn't just say uh, Dion's the defensive line coach. I I was in the camp two weeks ago of saying, take your time. I mean, there's no rush, and if Dion's the strongest candidate, then hire Dion, and that seems to be what had happened. Um, 
And I'm cool with that because recruiting is the name of the game. And Deion Barnes is responsible for a lot of these Philly kids coming to Penn State. And before Deion Barnes was here, we had we, we had struggled a bit in Philly, surprisingly. And he kind of stabilized things. So I think he's ready for this. And I think he's going to do a good job. I would like to see him get a get an experienced analyst to help him on the defensive line. And if that could, you know, kind of like Frank Leonard with Phil Troutline. So I would like to see him get an experienced coach with him, you know, just to help him out. Um, but yeah, I'm cool with it. And I'm ready to see what he's got. He's going to have a talented group. So it's not going to be like he's inheriting the 2014-2015 uh, Penn State offensive line. You know, he's going to have some players on this, and he's going to have some players to develop. Like, you know, developing Deny Dennis Sutton is crucial to this team having success in the next two years. Yeah, um, we're going to talk, obviously, spring practice a little bit here. But now I'm kind of curious, Sean, if I go back in time, when did we start talking about, because we did like a spring for people that didn't join us until this past season. We kind of did like a spring every week. We went through at least one position, maybe two positions. And, and kind of discussed them thoroughly. We did. It, look, it looks like we actually started them roughly. Well, we had a spring preview. On, yeah. Oh, this is funny, Sean. March 27th, so I guess almost a year ago, was the success with honor conversation. Can you believe that was almost a year ago? Wow. God, that's that's really taken off in a year. Yeah, I mean, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, anywho, it looks like that was kind of the beginning of be kind of the beginning of everything was was right about then um we started talking about linebacker depth on march 13th so we were i think next week we need to start hitting some of these positions yeah let's do it so um we'll, we'll start knocking <laughs> that, those out man we, we were really nostradamus talking about linebacker depth yeah yeah we uh <laughs> We had some really good conversations last March, so I'm looking. Yeah, let's start doing those again as we kind of get to more and more towards spring. Um, I do not exactly remember where I left off before I went down that rant, but um, oh, defensive line. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to talk more defensive line in a second because there is one guy in particular who may or may not play very much in the spring here that we should probably mention, and uh James Franklin spoke about kind of the defensive line depth a little bit today as well. So, but before I get there, I wanted to give a shout out to the Penn State basketball team making the NCAA tournament. I will, 100% will eat crow, not that m- probably many Penn State, well, I don't know. I don't I feel like there's a little bit of a different basketball people than a football people, but um I'll eat crow. I did not think they were going to make it. I tweeted a couple times that they were not a tournament team, um mostly because they lost to Nebraska and then Come to find out they lost a, a pretty bad Rutgers team two times in a row uh, or two times in the season and once by 20 points. Uh, but, hey, 
credit where credit's due. I think they had this is probably the only basketball number I'm ever going to throw out in the show. They had some something stupid like out of their eight quad one wins, they had six in the last 17 days, which is just absurd. So a lot of credit where credit's due. They got hot at the right time. They play Texas A&M tomorrow night at 9:55 Eastern. So uh, kudos to them, and hopefully they can keep the fun going and. Maybe James Franklin can teach Shrewsbury a thing or two about leveraging money for uh, for facilities and for NIL and for, for coach salaries. Yeah, yeah, because I think, you know, as much as we talk about the football team needing things, and, and they do, like the basketball team, I mean, it's – they're in desperate need. I mean, just like it's – you know, a lot of people have done a lot of good work. I'm talking about what how facilities had been lacking at, you know, with Penn State basketball. And if you think we were behind in, in NIL and football, I mean, basketball, <laughs> you know, we were really playing catch up. So but anyway, I mean, yeah, it's been the most fun watching Penn State basketball in years and years these, these past two weeks. I think I actually said on the last podcast, I did not expect us to beat Northwestern. I did not expect us to beat Maryland. And we beat them both. And then we went on a long run in the conference tournament and almost beat uh, a team that might win the national championship. So it's been it's been a lot of fun. And um, I'm hoping that that fun continues tomorrow. Yeah. I have Penn I, State winning tomorrow. So I'm just giving them the kiss of death. But. I would uh, recommend everyone. We I, I tweeted. I'll probably tweet it a couple more times, but we do have a ESPN tournament group that you can join with your bracket, and we'll give a prize of some kind. We do have merch in a merch store, by the way. We'll probably maybe give a shirt, T-shirt, or something to the winner. But um, but yeah, so you should join that and have some fun with the tournament with us. I'll wrap that up the conversation by getting back to football by saying. If I had to, which I do not give money to Penn State football or basketball, but, and I I texted this to Sean and some friends the other day, if I was going to give money to either of them, it kind of sounds weird, but I think I I would consider giving my money to basketball over football. And and I don't know if that's necessarily, if I had to go through with it, that's what I do. But theoretically, that's kind of how I feel, right? Like football has a little bit more of a, a following and a support and I just and I know a lot of people feel this way you have an opportunity with what you know with Shrewsbury and to capture this momentum circa 2016 with the football team and you don't want to see them mess this up so uh athletic director Patrick Kraft this is also about a year ago from when Sandy Barber was announcing her retirement by the way um Patrick Kraft not just for basketball but for football for all sports has been talking the talk and has said all of the right things. He has been affectionate and passionate at sporting events, and I think that's really captured the fan base positively. But now is the first litmus test. Can he, you know, saddle up the boys and and go out and get some donors and get some facility upgrades and get some name, image, and likeness money and and take care of everything? And that's that's not just basketball. That's football. That's that's everything. So. Uh, it will be an interesting, interesting, interesting couple of months in that regard. Yeah, it's the first instance of where the rubber meets the road with, with Patrick Kraft. And 
I'm hoping that they're able to raise the money they need, uh, whether it's for NIL, whether it's facilities, whether it's for Mike Ditch Shrewsbury getting a raise, or whether it's for all three. Because the basketball program, I mean, through the decades has been neglected. And there's no other way to put it. And it's been sad. I mean, we had Ed DeCellis get poached by Navy, like the Naval Academy, like the military. I mean, how do you get, who gets their coach poached by Navy? <laughs> but Penn State did. And not that Ed DeCellis was Phil Jackson or anything, but it just speaks to like our unwillingness to invest anything in basketball. And I mean, it's the thing. They've just always been on the back burner at Penn State, and there's no reason for it to be that way. We could have a good basketball program. We're right in the middle of Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, New York City. I mean, there's Washington, D.C. There's no reason why we can't be good at basketball. It's always been BS, and it's and the only reason we're not is because the university just never cared enough about it. Like. Pat Chambers, like if we took our program seriously, he would have been fired in 2016. But we just kept him on until he eventually got fired for uh, non-basketball related reasons. And um, he should have been fired way before that. But, um, you know, hopefully they put... started going on a rant for us. started going down a rant there, didn't you, for a second? A little rabbit hole. I, I, I did. I... Pat Chambers, I I don't know why. If it was up, if it wasn't for Pat Chambers doing what he there did, and it was, you know, whatever you think about it, he'd still be the coach right now, which is just unbelievable to me. That 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 this guy who would have made one tournament if it wasn't for COVID and twelve years of being there would have been the coach. And did he ever have a real chance to succeed? No because the university wouldn't allow it, but it was evident that the guy couldn't coach. Like, he, there were no drawing up plays. Nobody ever got any better. I mean, Lamar got a little bit better from three-point shooting, but that was about it. I mean, anyway, that's enough about Pat Chambers. Let, let's just beat Texas a tomorrow. All right, well, we'll, uh, we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> I did want to mention that Miles Sanders is no longer going to be an Eagle. He is officially signed with the Carolina Panthers as of like an hour ago. So you might've just missed that. Um, they signed Rashad, the Eagles had signed Rashad Penny, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, running back from San Diego State, Penn State played yep. him, right? We did. Okay. Yep. I was like 99% yep. sure, but I just wanted to make sure of that. Yeah, when he was at San Diego State, yeah. Yeah, which was actually, never mind. I was just say that was a, that was a really nice day for a football game, I believe, if I remember correctly. It was. Uh, it was the yeah, only nice game, that one. I think, in the 2015 season. Uh, anywho, let's talk media day. And and I think it would only be the right thing to do. I, I mean, people are going to say what they're going to say on Twitter and whatever, but we kind of owned media day without even being there. We say. <laughs> I mean, people are going to call us smug and, and, you know, maybe not get the humor in it. But if you missed Media Day, they, there was questions being asked about Drew Aller as far as position and, and reps and all that. And, and James Franklin kind of stopped and said, well, you guys don't ask me about the boot and scooter. And 
I believe he, he followed up with, well, he's fine. Or he's now fine, I think might have been. Uh, something like that, yeah. Yeah. He didn't say he wasn't fine, or he he never denied the boot, never denied the scooter, never said it was precautionary, nothing like that. Didn't talk about it at all. Nobody even followed up, I think, and asked him anything about it. Um, it was a very funny moment, and I think, well, two things are funny about it. Number one, I think he realizes the uh, volatility of of the of what the offseason is going to be for this Penn State football team. I mean, there is a lot of excitement, but also nervousness revolving around going into the season. And so people are going to be paying attention to stuff like that. And I will 100% stand by what we said, what we'll continue to say. Drew Aller was indeed in a boot. Wasn't a wasn't the you know a, a broken you know what you'd wear if you had a broken toe. It wasn't a cast boot or anything like that. It's a small small boot. Presumably, you would argue maybe for an ankle or something like that, but we do not know at all what was wrong with him. We don't know if it's precautionary. We don't know if he just I don't know slipped on the ice that day, but we do know for sure he was in a boot, and we'll stand by that. Whether that was precautionary, whether that was a, a you know just a fashion statement, who knows? But here's what pisses me off, Sean. Really pisses me off. Is the way James Franklin, in a way, tried to discredit or make it seem like it wasn't a big deal that that, that was talked about. Or, or maybe even to a sense, shot a, you know, Shot an arrow to, across the bow at us. Shot a cannonball across the because you want in a perfect world for James Franklin, he wants nobody to report on his players being hurt. He wants nobody to report anything bad about his players. And I totally get it. That's that that you know, if you're a coach, that's what of course what you want. You don't want any secrets getting out, you don't want anyone to know about injuries, you don't want anyone knowing about any plays, strategy, etc. I totally get it. But that is not the media's job. And I'm not sitting here and telling you that we're the athletic or we're 24-7 sports. But I'll just put it all out there. We also aren't getting any sort of interviews from the Penn State football team. We are not getting special access. We're not even showing up to the practices. Therefore, we're not owed anything from the Penn State beat. Furthermore, Sean, we've said this how many times? We are not a fan account in the same, you know, the same token as an anonymous fan account. We have our face live across the Internet. We have our voices and names attached to this thing every single time. And I will not cower. I will not back off when we have information that we think is newsworthy. We reported about Devon Ellis coming back. Is that not the same as anything else? People didn't care that we did that. We will continue to do what we do, and I think it's important that everyone does that. And I get it why some some people don't because they need to try to get certain interviews, and they need. We got nothing like that. We we, we have nothing like that. We're, we want Penn State football to succeed, but if we see Drew Aller in a brace, we're gonna say something, and that's just how it's gonna be. Nothing's gonna change. We know we're right about it. 
and we're going to keep going in that direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Like, I think, I think Lash is threatened because there's nothing they can really do with us because we're not part of the beat. We're just two guys that do support Penn State football, but you know we talk about what we see. We talk about what we see on Saturdays during in the fall, and we talk about what we see in practice. We talk about what we see in recruits, and yeah, like if we hear about something and we think something's credible, we're gonna talk about it. And no, think, no, we know something was credible. It was well, yeah. yes, yeah. I mean, we, it if, wasn't a fifty-fifty. Oh, let's throw it out there. It was no, 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 no. yeah, yeah. Just want to make that clear for everybody. Yes, because here's the thing: we hear a lot of things that we don't tell it. People, people DM us all the time things. Yeah, we hear a lot of things that we don't talk about because we can't confirm it, we can't be sure about it. But if we hear something that we know is true, we're gonna say it. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know why that's such a problem. And the thing is, like. I think a lot of people on the beat, and look, we're we get along with with a lot of people. With, with the everybody on the beat has been incredibly gracious toward us. Everybody we've interacted with, everybody. But they're under constraints because if they say something about an injury, they're going to get in trouble. They're in trouble with the coach. Their boss might tell them, "Look, why?" Why aren't you getting these interviews? And it might be because Penn State's not letting them interview with with, with certain guys, with, with players, and they're not getting access. And that's their job to land certain interviews, and that's fine. I think our beat does a great job. We don't have to worry about that. We don't really we don't really care about that. Would we love it if Drew Aller came on here? Sure. Would we love it if James Franco came on here? Of course. But we don't need it because that's just not what we do. And that's fine. And and another thing is, some of the people online, now this isn't Penn State, but just people online saying, oh, you guys think you're journalists. No, we don't. <laughs> Why did we say that? We're not, we're not journalists. We're just two guys that observe things. And we hear things. And if we're sure about something, we're going to say it. So that's we, not going to... Uh, we drink and we know things. Little Game yeah. of Thrones reference for those out there um so that was really the yeah. i mean that was the highlight not gonna, of not gonna change around here no that that was the the real highlight of media day because from there i think sean we're both in agreement franklin went on to kind of bs everybody more than i think the the media took it and ran with it to a certain degree and, I, and people are reporting it as if it's like a fact. And I know it's a fact because James Franklin said it, but I'm not believing Franklin on this when he was basically saying they're having a true quarterback competition. I mean, I get why. I, I don't want to say he's not doing the right thing because I think he is. You got to try to instill that competitive spirit in everybody. But I just, I don't see this being a true quarterback competition. But Berbila has done fantastic. No disservice to him. He at one probably if not the most tied for the most among all positions 
in winter workout recognitions. I mean, he killed it. I know and, another another weird coincidence, right, Corey? And uh, <laughs> and um, part part of the reason why Franklin says that there's a competition is because their skill sets are so different. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. That 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 that's understandable. And I have, you know, we obviously know the importance of getting your backup reps. Everybody went through the the, the Roberson situation. But to me, Sean, what was peculiar, 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 that's a hard word for me to say, Um, for me, was when they said towards the end of the spring, they they might be trying to get equal reps for all three of the guys, including Jackson Smolik, the the early enrollee. To me, that tells me two things, Sean. Number one, you feel really good about Drew Aller that you don't feel like you need to be like spoon feeding him as many reps as possible. Right. Like you there, you at this point in the season, you could honestly be like concerned, right. You could be like, we got to get this guy ready. Like, I don't know if he's like, you're such, we could go into Franklin and being like, I don't know if we can get him ready unless we give him 80% of the reps this spring before we head into the summer camp. That doesn't seem like that's the case. Therefore, uh, either he's really, you know, he's already there and they can share some of those reps between Perbula and Smolik, or there really is a true competition and it's anyone's to win. And I just, I just don't see the hell. The little minute 10 video they put out last night of the first practice and he threw the, a freaking bomb. I, I don't know. It wasn't, you know, a great camera to know the, the distance. But it looked like it was a 40-plus bomb, and I could not. I slowed down. I could not get the receiver that kind of let it come into their body. Daquan Hardy was on coverage, but I don't. I could not get the receiver. Um, put it right in his bread basket. I mean, this thing almost hit the top of the ceiling in, in Haluba and put it right in the bread basket. Good defense by, by Hardy on the play, too. But that's one of the ones where you hope the receiver kind of goes up and gets it a little bit. Um, I... I'm I don't want to get people too excited on March 15th, but I those little videos they put out the Drew Allers quarterback coach or trainer puts out along with what we've seen so far. And the fact that they're not spoon fitting Drew Aller like 80 percent of the reps tells me, Sean, that that he, he's uh, maybe further ahead than than anticipated. So I don't think there's a true – it all started with I don't think there's a true quarterback competition going on. Yeah, yeah, you said a lot there. Um, so I agree with you. Um, keep in mind, Drew Aller's been there since last spring. And it's the same offense. It's Mike Yersich's offense. And he had, a six, he had a six-year quarterback ahead of him. So I'd imagine behind the scenes he was probably taking more reps than the normal backup takes. And I assume he's a smart kid, and they're probably thinking, we don't want an Iowa 2021 situation. So let's make sure Bo and Smolik are ready. And there probably is a true competition for that backup role, which is very encouraging with Jackson Smolik, that they think high enough of Jackson Smolik that they think he's ready to take that many reps. Um, and, I mean, I, th- I think you have to be happy about that. Uh, and yeah, it is video season. It is, ooh, did you see that throw season? 
And there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of that between now and September 1st or 2nd or whenever we play West Virginia. I mean, that there's going to be a lot of videos because that's all we have. Like, I remember last year, it, like, it all goes back to the Dolphins, that there is that one pass that, ta- that Tua underthrew to Tyree Kill. And the whole NFL media fo- hyper-focused on that one pass for like a week. And I'm like, guys, do, do, do you know how many passes they throw in the offseason? Yeah, there's going to be a couple that are overthrown, and that happens. Um, and it's going to be the same thing now. Like, there's going to be some good throws from Allery. You see, I assume Penn State's only going to want to show good throws from Drew Aller. But, yeah, there's going to be some ducks that he's going to throw in the spring and the summer, too. And that's okay. That's what practice is for. Um, I agree with you, though. It was also underrated, an underrated good play by Daquan Hardy. He really stuck with it and made a good play on the ball because the, 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 the throw was money. But sometimes the defensive back can make a play and make things hard enough for the receiver. Um, Let me ask you, and, Sean. Yeah. I'm sure you watch those same little, like, training things that – Aller's coach puts out of, of him yeah. like those minute 15 videos. I don't want to put this on the radar, but we had already seen in, in limited fashion him throwing the ball a little high. And some and a lot of those videos he's throwing a little high. I'm not saying I'm worried yet. I think I've already brought this up sometime during the season, too. Is that something you're paying attention to moving forward? Or I, I, maybe on a scale of 1 to 10, where, where's your concern at right now as we as we sit at March 15th? <laughs> like, well, yeah, like a three or four. I mean, because only because I saw that during games, too, and with live bullets. And and that's the other thing you got to keep in mind. Like, these throws are being made. Trailers knows he's not getting hit. And you really only know about a quarterback when the bullets, when the bullets are real, and when the bullets are flying. And... That's when we'll, and I think you're going to know a whole lot about Drew Aller and this football team, frankly, after the Iowa game. After that little stretch, I think I was after Illinois. So after a little stretch of West Virginia and uh, Illinois, Iowa, that's where you're going to know a lot, a lot about Drew Aller. And I think he's going to be fine. I have high hopes for him. But again, what's something we always say here? We're, we're not in the business of putting the anointing oil on him before he's done anything. And we're going to be critical when he does something bad. And we're going to praise him when he does something good, just like everybody else. Yeah, let's move on to – I want to – well, I just want to talk one more time about Bo Perbila. I tweeted Taysom Hill vibes. And I just – here's my thing, Sean. Even if Bo Perbila offers a little bit more in the running game as a quarterback, my – thought is you only go to those kind of things you only go to the tyler warren wildcat stuff the potential will levis battering ram the bo perbila tyson taysom hill situation the lion the lion with with tommy c you only do that when you're struggling to run the ball especially in short yarded situations and i just don't see them going to something like that they might flirt with it just to maybe keep Bo Perbila engaged. But I don't see how you go to that unless all of a sudden you can't get it done in the T format, the trot line formation, especially with with uh, what Nick Singleton and 
and Catron Allen have been able to do so far. So I'm not saying they won't have it in their back pocket, but I just don't see them using it unless it becomes necessary. And so all of a sudden we take three steps back and we can't run the ball in short yardage situations. I would be very surprised if we see the Bo Perbila lion package. Yeah, and frankly, I don't think we should. Um, because you're taking, if you're doing that, you're taking carries away from Nick Singleton and KHNL. Like, you have two great running backs there. Use them. Like, I don't know why you would, excuse me, I don't know why you would go and shoehorn Bo Perbula into it. And, you know, I didn't really like the, I didn't really love the Lion when when Tommy was here. Especially, like, in the 2018 season, I feel like, I, I think of the Ohio State game. I think some of those drives got derailed in that game, and maybe if we just stuck with what we were doing, might have won. Um, I, I just thought it was needlessly shoehorned that, and that's when we had a so-so run game. So I really wouldn't want to see it, and I personally wouldn't expect it. Let's go offensive line because – I just wanted everyone, I also tweeted this, I want everyone to remember kind of where we used to be. And now the conversation, James Franklin was talking about the fourth offensive tackle being a competition spot and trying to figure out who that fourth offensive tackle is. And mind you, if they needed to, they could move Tangwa to the outside if they if they really needed to. Um, so, th- I mean, you're talking potentially maybe about, if you were in a game time situation, about potentially a fifth guy. So... That was something that was discussed. Drew Shelton and Caden Wallace are battling for the right tackle spot, which we had conversation about that. Like, would Drew Shelton just back up Olu Fashionu, or would he, you know, would he move to the right side and, and maybe spice up the competition there? That's a really interesting battle to me, Sean. I, I really, Caden Wallace had a good winter workout from what we could tell. I mean, and Drew Shelton obviously is very talented for what he was able to do as a freshman. I, I mean, that's a fascinating battle to me. I, to me, you got to lean a little bit. Maybe Drew Shelton has a higher ceiling, but man, at this point, Caden Wallace has a bunch of experience, so that that's going to be a fun one. I don't see, the, I don't think that one gets finished until the summer. I mean, this, that could be that could be right up to the final couple weeks before the season kicks off on September second against West Virginia. Yeah, it could be into the season too. Um, yeah, yeah, for year, sure. Right? Yeah, last year after and Wallace shared reps the whole year until Wallace got hurt. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see it go all the way into the year, and then that's fine as long as there's really no significant drop-off from uh, Wallace or Shelton. I mean, those of you who listen, uh, going back to last year, I've always been in the, why can't why can't we just move Caden Wallace to guard camp? I just think he's a more natural guard, but Bill Troutwine disagrees, and while I think he had a good year last year, I think he could be even better inside. Um, but, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but James Franklin in general has always been of the opinion, has always been of the mindset that he wants to play the best five guys on the line and just kind of make it work wherever. And that's fine. Um, I think that's a fine philosophy to have. Um and I'm expecting it again this year. Uh, but I would be shocked if we don't see a lot of both Caden Wallace and Drew Shelton uh, when the fall comes. Yeah, I have. Um, 
notes here about something, and I have no idea what I was trying to say. It looks like I was trying to say James job at boot. Does that does, do you come up with anything with that? I, I I don't know what I wrote in my notes. James job. Oh, 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 his oh, no. job. Nope, I got it now. I got it now. Allers yeah, no. boot. No, that wasn't boot. I think that's an S. Never mind. That was just a note about something else. This awful handwriting, and that wasn't it. Wasn't job either. Um, I, I'm good now. I want to go to the next thing, and that is talk about James Franklin said, or at least welcome home, former defensive line Torrance Brown as a new graduate assistant, which. Um, Dion Barnes, new defensive line coach, was a grad assistant. He actually was a grad assistant as much as he could be a grad assistant for. So he, they had to go get one, basically. Torrance Brown, fun fact, was James Franklin's first recruiting class, member of his first recruiting class in 2014. So um, that's really cool to see. I have always been a big fan of Torrance Brown. So this is uh, this is really cool. I'm I'm very excited about this. Yeah, he helped us win the Big Ten. I mean, he was, you know, an un, kind of an unsung hero, that defense. Uh, good pass rusher. And, yeah, he was a late, 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 late commit in James Franklin's first class. Like, I don't believe he, he – I think he was one of the guys that wasn't committed to Bill O'Brien and committed to James Franklin as as soon as he got uh, – as soon as he got to Penn State back in those days, Franklin was hired in January, and in those days there was no early signing period, so he was that first February uh, recruiting class. So, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you know, if if Barnes was a GA any longer, I mean, he would have he would have. I don't know if there's a doctoral uh, assistant program. Uh, we would have had to try to make him Doctor Barnes. Um, small joke. And then uh, Torrance, yeah, so. It's pretty cool to see, um, you know, guys coming back to coach with Franklin that he played, that that that, that he coached. Right. I think Deion Barnes is the first guy that he coached that's now a, a member of his coaching staff. So I'm sure it makes uh, James, I'm sure it makes James feel kind of old, um, but it's also pretty cool and it speaks to his success to be able to have that longevity to now have guys that he coached with on his that that he coached be on his coaching staff with them. Dr. Arnold Ebby Cady came to mind when you went down the doctor out there because he's is he a, a doctor? doctor. He is a doctor. I know that pharmacist. I don't know. You always got to you always got to want you got to question more than just my base level intelligence. You got to always <laughs> ask that second question that that wouldn't be asked in the trivia bar, at a, you know, at a bar in trivia. But yeah, no, I do not know. I don't know what his doctoral. I don't even know, if, like, I don't know if it's a, you know, what kind of doctor that is. Is that PhD doctor? Is that, I don't know. Like Dr. Julia Server? No. It's, I'm not, yeah, because I'm not sure uh, if he's a real doctor. I was, I was going to say better than that, but that might have not been <laughs> correct either. Um, a lot more offense to talk about, actually. Most of my notes are offensively related. Um Katron Allen, 5'11", 218 on the last roster. He looked really good. And I swear, we should keep track of how many times the media gets to see the running back drills. 
because I feel like that's something they always get to see. So running back drill count is officially at one for the year. We'll have to keep an eye on that, see how many more running back drills we get to see throughout the season. But he looks really good. Um, Khalil Dinkins, Franklin said, was showing some flashes. Um, And he also mentioned that tight end Jerry Cross was hurt last year, which, again, you don't know these things sometimes. And you you just have to kind of speculate and question and wonder what's going on. And Cross is one of those guys where we're like, well, what's going on there? And and that was why. And so, I mean, you're looking at Dinkins and Cross, two guys who have now been in the program for at least a little bit. And the tight ends coming in this next, the previous class or this this upcoming class, and you're just like, how are they all going to get on the field? So I think this is a very big spring for Dinkins and Jerry Cross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of put up for shut-up time with uh, Schlaffer and Rapplier coming in. I mean, these are two highly touted guys, and I know Rapplier for sure is going to be pushing for time. And I, I, I said all year last year, I liked what I saw from Khalil Dinkins when he got in. I think he's ready to step up to that number three role. But this is kind of what you want, right? This is what you want. You want that healthy competition for depth spots because you feel good about Theo as your starter. You feel good about Tyler Warren. And then you have these these guys coming up and then two other guys having something to prove. And I'm really excited to see how that third tight end spot shakes out and who comes out on top. And again, these are the types of competitions you might see go into the season. And we're probably going to see a lot of we're probably going to see a lot of these guys in September, and you know, but we play UMass, uh, I believe, the second week of October, and then by Ohio State, it'll probably be um, it'll probably be sorted out by then. Yeah. Speaking of tight ends, he also mentioned that Theo Johnson and Tyler Warner are, are have some bumps and bruises, so. This is a good opportunity for for Dinkins and Cross to uh, to show what they got. So this is this is a very big you know couple of spring practices for them. Um, final note on offense. He said also that the wide receivers have to be tougher and more consistent. And to that same beat, uh, McLean. Malik McLean couldn't think of his first name for a second. The transfer from Florida State. He just towers above everybody else. I mean, he is he is distinct compared to all the other guys that are out there. So um Kendra Lambert Smith had some nice catches from what we saw in the highlights, but uh McLean is 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 gonna be a red zone threat. I mean he's he's gonna be out there. I mean, he you might see some goal line fades, Sean. I hate to break it to you because I mean that guy is that guy's that guy's tall and um if he can go get it with with some speed that he also possesses, which I believe Franklin said he did really well when he first measured in, I think Malik McLean's a guy you really need to pay attention to. If you if he's not a household name yet, I think he really could be. So, uh, you know, I like my wide receiver transfers, um, and another one still yet to come in Dante Cephas. So that'll be an interesting group, Sean, to to really pay attention to. I I think that's probably take the quarterback stuff aside for a second. That's that's probably the group on either side of the ball that people are probably most fascinated in. If, if they take that next step, 
that could be what what maybe gets Penn State to the next step overall. Yeah, and we spoke to to this numerous times that Drew Aller needs those other parts of the offense to step up, and we know we have the run game. Uh, we're very confident in that. But then the receivers. I mean, is there going to be a number one receiver? Uh, I think Keandre Lambert Smith has the most ability, has the most potential, uh, but doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be he's going to be the guy. And I mean, really, if you look at last year, I guess you could say Parker was the number one. But I mean, was he? I mean, Mitchell Tinsley had a huge role in the offense. Uh, they kind of shared that number one role, and it could be that that way again. Um, I would personally like the receivers to be better than they were last year. Uh, not that I thought they were bad last year, but I thought it, I thought they could have been, I thought they, we could have had more production than we got. And then it's the same thing, like all the way down the depth chart. Like what does a guy like Liam Clifford do? Uh, Harrison Wallace had, had some good moments last year. I think if he could just be more consistent, it would pay dividends. And I think that's the common theme with all these receivers is consistency. Uh, McLean, same thing at Florida State. He kind of got lost in the depth chart a little bit, but he would look like, you know, just from looking at what he did last season at Florida State, he would have a huge, he would have a pretty big game and then he would not do much the next week. And it was the same thing with Lambert Smith here and Harrison Wallace. So could one of these guys, could all of these guys just become more consistent? Uh, I think Cephas was pretty consistent all year with Kent State. Maybe he becomes the number one receiver. So it's going to be, it's going to be a cool competition all the way down the depth chart. We need, we need these guys. We need these guys to help their, uh, their new, we need these guys to help their new QB out and to be able to go and make plays for him. Yeah, I mean, besides Keandre Lambert-Smith, I mean, it's it. you can't really say anyone else really has any sort of huge advantage. I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is the only one that maybe starts out ahead, but it'll be uh, it'll be fun to see. It'll be fun to watch. And, I, again, I don't think – I think the longer it takes to sort it out, the more you get nervous about it, right? But um, I still don't think it's going to be solved anytime soon. So we'll be talking about that probably the entire year. Uh, I only have one defensive note on my piece of paper, and Sean, you can correct me if I'm. Uh, I mean, Storm Duck looked good. I, I'll just start off by saying that from what I saw, just he looks he looks like a football player. Um, whenever I say stuff like that, I feel like the, uh, the he's scout, on the football. Yeah, yeah he's I, on the football team. I I feel like the scouts from Moneyball who like just make up words and stuff about like. <laughs> oh, he's got. Well, he doesn't have a good girlfriend, so he lacks confidence. Or, or just, but no, Storm Duck looks looks the part. So that'll be uh, a guy to pay attention to closely here this spring. Kaziah Izzard was another guy that Franklin said had some bumps and bruises. So it'd be interesting to see um, how much he plays because defensive tackle is the spot, Sean, on defense that everyone kind of points to right now. Um, he talked a lot. James Franklin talked a lot about size and I don't want to go down the whole Michigan conversation again, but it, it did come up again and he kind of tuned his answer a little bit more now because it wasn't just, we need more size. It was, we need size that kind of fits our scheme and athleticism. And he was never, I think he said, basically, we're not going to take someone just for their size. And I mean, again, 
we never we never thought they were gonna do that, right? So I I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like maybe that's all pointing to the fact that they're not really where they want to be at the defensive tackle position yet. And, you know, I think Devon Ellis and Kaziah Izzard and and Durant and Vandenberg and I think they have what it takes, but it's going to be something to pay attention to closely. And if there's a defensive tackle that comes out of the spring in the transfer portal, I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State's at least looking. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I think there should be somebody uh, in the media that just asks him about Aaron Donald every week because he just gets going about Aaron Donald and like how every defensive tackle wants to be Aaron Donald now, you know, kind of that undersized guy that is a beast. And Franklin is right. I could, I could see what he, I could see where he's coming from. And that I think a lot of defensive tackles, you know, grow up in, in, in this generation, like Aaron Donald is what they know. And they're like, well, Aaron Donald could do it. And I think Franklin's trying to say, well, he's the exception to the rule. And he is largely Correct. I mean, there's only one Aaron Donald in, 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 in ever. <laughs> I mean, he's he's there. There just aren't a lot of dominant defensive tackles that are his size, and um, it seems like a shot at certain guys that are undersized at defensive tackle. And I and I and I mean, I hear him in that you know he wants them to get bigger, but if that's not the whole reason we got gashed by Michigan. And we've no, but Sean, I don't Boston. think, I don't think it's the size alone when he made those Aaron Donald comments. Because to me, that's more of like, you want to be Aaron Donald because he's blowing up plays, he's jumping, you know, he's shooting gaps, he's 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 getting the sacks, he's getting the recognition. Playing defensive tackle a lot of times means taking on a double team creating a pile of crap in the middle of the field and, and swallowing up holes. To me, that's what it speaks to now more. It's like, hey, we need guys like, yeah, sure. It's nice to to have the sack. It's nice to have the the uh, the Davian Clowney hit. But sometimes you got to just not get washed down. You got to create a pile of mess. I mean, I'll be honest, Sean, like a couple times this year, I said PJ Mustafer needs to show up more because he wasn't really showing up in the stat sheet, but he was having good games by doing what he was supposed to do. And unfortunately, that is just how the defensive tackle position works sometimes. And I think that's what I think Franklin's getting at now. It's like you can be a star without necessarily getting that recognition that the Aaron, Aaron Donalds get of the world. So I mean, I don't think it's not just what you said, too, but I think it's also at this point like, hey, we know you we know you're quick. We know you want to shoot the gap. We know you can. But sometimes we just need a pile of crap in the middle of the field. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's hard to it's hard to get through to kids that, you know, that's that's what they need. Um, But, you know, it it is also there's many as a scheme. Like, does many many Diaz's scheme, like, always put them in that best position in order to do that, no. too? That's exactly. No. No. So that's something to think about. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that's something, Jan- you know, Franklin has to figure out with Manny Diaz. <laughs> right. Um, And that's what we talked about the whole year. Like, But, you know, across the roster, it felt like everybody got bigger. 
Singleton's bigger. Kachon Allen's bigger. A lot of the defensive line, they're all bigger. So size may be just an overall emphasis with this team this year. I think they're looking to get them stronger. And that's fine. I mean, look at the schedule. We play Illinois, we play Iowa, we play Michigan. And those are teams that are pretty beefy. And, you know, you have to be, you know, they're, they're going to try to drag you down to their level and beat you there. And I get it. I get it. I'm all right with them, with the matting size. I just, like a guy like Katron Allen getting too big is a little concerning, though, because I just want him to have the same kind of explosiveness that he had last year. I felt like he was on, like, compared to Singleton, he wasn't as he wasn't as explosive as him. I felt like he had some wheels, and I just wouldn't want to see him get too big and kind of get pigeonholed into that big running back uh, type, if you, if, you, if you get what I'm saying. I, I 100% get what you're saying. I think he's actually more the opposite. I mean, from what I saw, he looks... I mean, he doesn't look bigger. I think he's he's gained pounds, but I don't think he looks chunkier or anything like that. From- no, 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 no. I don't either. And so to me, I mean, you can gain, you know, if you if you were 220 or let's just say you're 210 and now you're 218, but you're all muscle like that, that's that's a big difference. So, yeah, I, I don't think. It's something to pay attention to, but I think he's in a good spot right now. I mean, yeah, I think he's in a good spot, but it is something to pay attention to. But I, I thought he looked – I thought he actually looked a little leaner, even though he weighed more. I think he looked like a – he looked like a bus. So – and not like a – not a big bus, like a like, – Like a mid-size bus. Like a mid – like a – you know, like a Mercedes, those Mercedes, really expensive Mercedes yeah. vans. That's what he looked like. If I um, won the lottery, I'd buy a couple of those. Those are those are drive, those are good vehicles. Drive my entourage around, and my entourage like Corey and like some other few other people. Hardcore, <laughs> hardcore van. Yeah, that's yeah, hardcore van team. Just go around. That's how we get podcasting. around. Yeah, that's how we get around. We, I don't know, maybe we'd hit the road every week or something. That would be fun. <laughs> I'm getting a lot yeah, of trouble. Try to win the lottery. Hey. <laughs> I can work from anywhere, so it's just you holding us up. Yeah. And then we could get one of those uh one of those things that <clears throat> excuse me. Those Wi Fi things, those isn't that a Elon Musk thing? The Starlight. Is that what it is? Starlight? I don't know. I have I have no idea. It's hard for me to keep up with so why it's the <laughs> it's the Wi Fi thing you can <laughs> use from anywhere. I think he sent some to Ukraine. Oh right, I forgot that. I forgot. Yeah, you're right. That's that's that's. I think like, like, I heard it somewhere. That's where I heard it. I think it's like I think the like the initial hardware is a pretty hefty. We're gonna need to increase our podcast profits by like a million percent of zero it would still be zero. So <laughs> we have a little bit yeah. of work to do before we're getting a Starlight Drift and the Mercedes van. Well, if I win the lottery, I could just pour a few million into this, and then that'd be good. Be fine. <laughs> what? Uh, you could angel invest into. You could be the angel saving, angel investor for your own. Co- I don't think that'd be angel investing at that point. Um, yeah, I think it's just investing. Those Mercedes. You think the those Mercedes vans would be a good? I mean, you could with <clears throat> lottery money. I mean, 
we could have a good life. I wouldn't want to like go too crazy, obviously, because this is nah. this is a realistic theoretical. Um, but that I mean, you could have fun. You could have a good time with that. It'd be awesome to tour to go to every game, home and away. It'd be fantastic. I'm I'm all for it. I say let's okay. go win the lottery, Corey. All right. Well, I mean, you can't win unless you put in two dollars. So that's right. Benefits all their Pennsylvanians. Yeah. As a, as Actually, Alabama doesn't have a lottery, so I have to go to Georgia to do it. They don't have a lottery in Alabama. No, we're God fearing country. All right. Ah, uh, that's true. Yeah, it could. Well, it could, could be seen as gambling, and really, there's no difference. <laughs> I'd say it's obviously worse that, than gambling. Yeah, I always found that bizarre that there were states, and Pennsylvania is one of these states for years and years where lottery is perfectly legal, but then gambling's not. When it's the same thing, it could be just as, if not more, destructive to someone's life. Oh, I, I think it's very destructive, but um, that's neither here nor there. Any other final thoughts on media day stuff or, or anything before we get into the Penn State bowl game draft? No, no, I just wanted to touch on, you know, just the roster getting bigger and we did. So, um, yeah, we'll probably, we'll have more and more spring stuff to get to you guys. And I'll be at the blue white game uh, next month. So that should be fun. And if you see me, say hi. Yeah, I was going to say Nick Dawkins and Hunter Norzad are battling for the center position. So, um, that was the only other thing I think I forgot to mention. So, yeah. All right. Well, let me uh, put this away. There we go. We're doing Penn State bowl game draft. And I guess I need to get my coin toss thing ready here. I think you picked, did you pick the coin toss last time? Uh, I don't remember. I know you won it, though, because I just saw that video. Yeah, I was super late getting that out, but... I think I won it, though. I think I, I, think I called Tails and it was Heads. Okay. Well... Um, I don't know if I can show you it, but... I guess... I don't really start recording it, but... Alright, I'll call Heads. Okay. It is Heads. I'm on fire today. I've been on fire for a while, actually, with the uh, with the calling. You have. Very impressed. Let me that going there. Hardcore Penn State football, Penn State bowl game all time draft. I won the coin toss. I have the first pick, and with that first pick, I am going to take. The 1986 season, 1987 Fiesta Bowl, 14-10 win over Miami. I think this was a pretty easy decision. I found the stat that I, I don't know. I, people knew the Miami offense was good, but I found the stat that I thought was interesting. Miami outscored teams that season 420 to 136. So holding them to those 10 points is just phenomenal. That defense, Shane Conlon and company, I mean, just – uh, just, just fantastic. The interceptions, they probably could have run the ball and maybe had a little bit more success, but they were adamant on passing and Testa Verde was just terrible. I think he ended up with five interceptions in that game. 
And then the final one, the end of the game, I mean, just an instant classic. The I think the way that Penn State carried themselves and the way that Miami thought they were going to whoop that butt plays a little bit into this. But it's, it's for a national championship. I don't even think I have to defend it any much more than that. People know the story, right? I mean, it's there's there's a lot of backstory to it, but Penn State went down there straight business and and got the job done and made history. And that is also the last time Penn State's won a national championship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a legendary game. And Penn State, I mean, no, you know, just uh, some background for younger fans like nobody is picking Penn State going into this game nobody it's kind of a lot like you know we're in college basketball I'll say it's a lot like Duke beating UNLV in 1991 uh in the final four just nobody was expecting it because there was I mean you look at you you look at Miami's roster Jerome Brown uh awesome defensive end they had the Heisman Trophy winning running back the Blades brothers I mean Alonzo Highsmith I mean there you look at on paper, there's no way we should have won. But that's where he throws five interceptions. Jimmy Johnson refuses to run the football. And our defense makes plays. So, got to hand it to us. I had that second. I had the 83 Sugar Bowl number one. So, the reason I, said, uh, the reason I had the 83 Sugar Bowl over the 87 Yes Bowl is just because it was a bit, I just feel like I've watched both, not at the time, but after. It's a better game to watch. It was just more entertaining. I felt like both teams played well. Uh, Penn State holds uh, future Senate candidate Herschel Walker in check. And um, they they end up winning the game. I mean, we've all seen that Greg Garrity touchdown. I actually, my grandpa somehow got in contact with Greg Garrity and I have that sign in my bedroom at my help at my house that uh, Sports Illustrated covered, and him celebrating the touchdown pass. So just a really good football game. Kurt Warner had a big day, um, and yeah, so I had that number one on my list, and I have it number one here. So going 83 Sugar Bowl. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's a scratch. I mean, I think it's a scratch, right? Either way, you want to look at it. I mean, yeah, because 86 probably, was second. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to probably win us the draft either way. Um, that game. What a certain defensive coordinator that ended up obviously shaming this university, but what that defensive coordinator, his game plan for Herschel Walker was phenomenal you could probably argue it's top i don't know i don't i don't know that i don't want to get down a rabbit hole of list but i would say that's like a top 20 game plan of all time for what they were able to accomplish with herschel walker um yeah just just phenomenal defensive performance as well so yeah i had that one obviously up there and um it's national championship again uh the fact that kurt warner kind of stole the show i don't want to say it wasn't i don't want to say it wasn't kurt warner who had a good game but i would just i just think again the defense and what they're able to do with herschel walker is something that i'll always take out of that but yeah i think that's one and two two and one either way you want to look at it 
you made me think about i was going to take this next one but i've switched my mind now because of i think the way you're going with the metrics and i kind of respect it with my second pick i'm going to take the 2006 orange bowl 26 23 penn state beat fsu this game first of all i i watched this game i probably fell in love with penn state football with this game to me it holds a lot of value Obviously, Michael Robinson, and and I think we all remember heart attack after heart attack with the field goals. It still feels like it was more overtimes than it actually was. Like I, I thought they were back and forth like 10 different times missing some field goals, but it, it wasn't that many. Penn State won 26-23, but just an, an insane game. Bobby Bowden versus Joe Paterno. Just, just so many cool headlines between FSU and Penn State. And Penn State, again, really hadn't been in that position in a long time. So I think you probably had that as your next pick, if I had to guess. Because I think to our age group, I, I think did. that's an easy an easy pick. I did. It was... So, Kevin Kelly. I feel like Penn State fans do not forgive him for that game, even though he ended up kicking the game winner. I think they're still mad at him for keeping people up till 1 a.m. on a Monday or Tuesday night or whatever. It was during the week. and But, you know, again, just an entertaining game. Uh, Penn State was a heavy favorite. Florida State had lost three or four games going into the Orange Bowl. They won the ACC. We won the Big Ten. We finished number three only behind uh, Texas, Vince Young's Texas and Reggie Bush's USC. And we needed everything in us to win that game. Uh, Paul Puzlesny goes down. Sean Lee comes in and plays really well and really impressed. Tony Hunt goes down. Austin Scott comes in. And Austin Scott didn't have a great career with Penn State, but that game he delivered when he needed to. Ethan Kilmer had that crazy catch before halftime. So it had a little bit of everything. And then, of course, the storyline of two, of two at that time older legends. Uh, and really good friends, Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno going against each other. So, yeah, that was my third pick. <sighs> Damn, Corey. So I'm going to go with my next pick, uh, a very nice game, the 69 Orange Bowl. Uh, one of probably Joe Paterno's first big win at Penn State. Penn State, uh, they, have, they have an awesome season in 68. Uh, and they're playing the Kansas Jayhawks in the Orange Bowl. Um, and stay, it's Joe Paterno's first undefeated season. They've And um, so the way it ended, Penn State went, had to, they were down 14-13. And at that time, um, and well into the 90s, there were ties. So, Penn, so Joe Paterno had the option. He could either kick the extra point and get the tie, or he could go for two and get, go for the win. Penn State goes for two, doesn't convert. They then get another chance because there was a penalty. Penn State goes for two again, they convert, they win the game. And that was one of the games, and in the late 60s, early 70s, Penn State's still trying to gain respect nationally. And that really put that really helped put Penn State on the map, uh, you know, going and beating a really good uh, Kansas team. Uh, they were both undefeated at the time and gave them their first loss of the season. So uh, going to go with the 69 Orange Bowl for my next one. Was it too many men on the field for that penalty? I don't remember. That's what it was, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, Charlie Pittman, really good running back. We haven't done – we haven't drafted running backs yet, but that's a guy who 
I don't like know if he's gonna make the list in my top five, but probably a guy that needs an honorable mention yeah. at least. Um, we'll yeah. see how that goes whenever we get to it. Well, there'll be pitchfork pitchforks waiting to to come after yeah. us when we do the running back yeah, and linebacker draft. But um, yeah, I had that on my list. Um, I was curious where you were gonna go with with uh with maybe the older games, um, but I I think that's a I think that's a solid pick. Um, kind of surprised though, but I think it's a solid pick. I'm, I I think I'm getting a great value here with my third pick, and that's the 1995 Rose Bowl between Penn State and Oregon. Penn State won 38-20, and from maybe from just a standpoint of game value, you could probably put a couple other ones up there. But for Penn State, I mean, this was this was the perfect ending to a perfect season, and from the get-go, because John Carter breaks the run, kind of sets the tempo. Um, I wasn't obviously at this game, but, I mean, Oregon fans thought they had this in the bag. They didn't They didn't think that Penn State was going to be able to hang with them. And and then that play happened, and I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be different. So um, not necessarily a, a very highly competitive game. Penn State won by 18. Uh, compared to like the 15-14 game that you just mentioned, it didn't come down to the to the wire, but an incredible bowl performance by Carter, who had three touchdowns, and again, just kind of the exclamation point on a season that, especially now, like you go back and think about, you kind of value that season and that game maybe more than you did after it had happened. So, yeah, I, I like the value with my third pick with the 2006 Rose Bowl. 95 Rose Bowl. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ninety-five. Yep, I got you. Yeah, I mean that was that was that was on my list. Um, you know, big game for Penn State. Uh, really kind of told the Big Ten, hey, we're here. Now, unfortunately for Penn State, we didn't get back to the Rose Bowl for another thirteen years. But I mean, it was a it was a big statement. Um, Corey, question for you. Yeah. So, neither one of us were born in nineteen ninety-four. No. I was. In my mother's womb during the Rose Bowl. Nice. Quite was it warm Ace, warm seats for that one? It, it was a good time. I I know I watched, <laughs> or at least I heard. I didn't really get to watch anything, but I heard anyway. Um, so based on what you know, do you think Penn State was a better team than Nebraska in 1994? Yeah, that's a do you question. think they would win? That's a question for another day, because um, we could go really deep down that road. Yeah, we could. Um, I actually, fun fact, I actually interviewed Cluster uh, Johnson the third, who's a running back for Nebraska. Way or like this was literally before COVID happened, and I, we had that conversation. Um, I will say that if Tommy Frazier was a hundred percent healthy, I think it's a I, I don't think it's a game that Penn State fans expect it to be. If if it turned into a if it turned out into a shootout, I think Penn State wins easily. But if Tommy Frazier is healthy and they could keep Penn State's offense off the field a little bit, I really yeah. think and, and Penn State's defense was good, but it wasn't it wasn't these other defenses you were talking about, you know, sixty-nine or the you know, eighty-three like that wasn't the level of defense, no offense, that that they had. I have to give you a straight up answer. I think Tommy Frazier is 100 percent healthy. I think Nebraska wins. I'm I know I'm gonna get crucified for that, but oh, 
Wow. And now again, it, it's like ma- it's matchup, right? It's it's matchups, right? It's the same. It's the same way. Like you know, we could probably beat Michigan if we scored first and did stuff. But if Michigan gets up by fourteen, they're probably going to win. If Nebraska got up by fourteen on Penn State and it could you know walk around and 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 shorten the game. But if Penn State scores on the first possession and and Tommy Frazier fumbles the football once, then I think it's over the other way. So I I don't feel great either way about it. I think it's a a really is a true crop, you know, uh, toss up. And I'm also not saying that Penn State didn't deserve it. I think if you look at resumes, I think Penn State did deserve it. That's not what I'm arguing at all. But in a head to head matchup, I I really think it's a toss up. And if Tommy Frazier is healthy, based off what we know, what he does the next year. I think I think I'm going with him. People can yeah. be mad at me all they want. No, it's respect. It's a definitely a respectable opinion. Um, because Frazier now his big season was '95, but he was awesome in '94 too. Um, and he's one of I mean he's one of the best college football players that ever laced up his cleats. So he'd be tough Iconic. for him. Yeah, I mean, and our defense that year wasn't great. They were good. They were good. I don't want to say they were bad, but, you know, we relied a lot on the offense. So I think it would have been a fun game to watch. So. You taking Penn State then? Or some taking the Nets in a hypothetical <laughs> matchup that, that I'll never be wrong on. Hey, we, I can <laughs> it's a 50-50 it. game, though. I'll give that 51-49 to Penn State, though. That's fair. I'll uh, we can get probably get that in the simulations. I've done it on the simulation before. It's actually on our YouTube channel still. But that was before I really got – that wasn't nearly as as well planned out or modded the same way, so it's not as good of a mod. But um, but yeah, I've seen it. I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell our people what happened. Yeah, it's not great, but it's there. That nah, and I don't think it would have happened the way it. No, anyway. no, I probably should take it down, but it's gotten a lot of views. So. <laughs> yeah, they'd be like, "Oh, f this guy." <laughs> All right, so um. Boy. All right. So I had the Rose Bowl up there. I'm going to go with <laughs> very close to the year that I was just in, the 1970 Orange Bowl, where Penn State beats Missouri. And they have, and then there is a big controversy after this game. So Pence, so there was once a president named Richard Nixon. So Nixon uh, ended up uh, resigning in disgrace. But before he did that, somebody thought it was a good idea to have the president decide a national champion. Why? I don't know. I don't want Joe Biden anywhere near <laughs> deciding a national championship or Donald Trump or Barack Obama or anybody, because th- th- that's not what they do. I mean, sometimes I wonder what they do, but that's definitely not what they do. So anyway, we beat Missouri. It's a less, I mean, it's a 10-3 game and, you know, wins a win. And we knock off a really good uh, Missouri team led by Dan Devine. And Penn State gets that 21-game winning streak. They have the longest winning streak in the nation. But Richard Nixon awards national championship to Texas. He then tells Joe Paterno, hey, we're sending you a trophy for the longest winning streak in the country. And Joe Paterno politely told, 
again, lifelong Republican Joe Paterno told Richard Nixon uh, in no uncertain terms that he could shove it up his ass. So I think just for that story alone and, you know, close game, good to go undefeated back-to-back seasons, I'm taking the 1970 Orange Bowl here. Yeah, that was a uh, – you're sticking with your oranges, that's for sure. Lytle Mitchell, I think, caught a touchdown pass. Yep, Lytle had a one. good game, yep. Just yep, odd Lytle that and... back then they went to two Orange Bowls and they were against – well, I was going to say – This was a really good points. offense. This was a really nice. good offense. We held the three points. Like, they put up points, and we only held them the three, so. Yeah, no, that's uh, – I have them on the list. I had both of those those last two oranges on the list, but not as high as as you did. You're really going after the old heads in this episode. You're really, you're trying to regather their vote. <laughs> I never lost their vote. I don't know. People have been saying I've been winning the last couple ones. I don't know who those people are. Um, no, actually, I won, Joe, I won the last one. Yeah, Joe, Joe, but we didn't hear what Donnie had to say. So. <laughs> Again, I think he, he really I, – I feel like there wasn't enough appreciation for Neil Smith, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I wasn't expecting to have these options, to be honest with you, at the end. I, I think there's going to be a little bit of curveball here, and I can totally see why people would not have this on the list, but I just I just think it was too good of a game not to. And I'm oh, going to go – You're going to do it, aren't you? I am. Do it. You're going to do it. I know which one you're going to say. Go ahead. Yeah, it's the 2017 Rose Bowl. Uh. <laughs> I mean, I, I am not a not a fan of the whole moral victories, and I, and I don't think this was even a moral victory. Um, but God, that game was the, the emotions I felt in that game. I probably will never feel again. It, it was just it was just absurd. I mean, it was just straight up absurd. The way the game started, the way they came back, the way they let it slip, the way they almost came, did it again. Just back and forth it went. It obviously didn't end up well. That's probably why it's a lot lower on the list. It could very easily have been, you know, above the 06 Orange Bowl if they would have won that game. Uh, but they didn't. And so it, it falls a little bit for me. But, man, the, the team was special. The, uh, there's just a lot surrounding it. Um. And and again, the metric changed me. The way I had this originally listed, not necessarily the same way I've gone with it, because you could list these as Penn State just best bowl wins, but that's not what we called this. We said best bowl games, and that opens the door, in my opinion. So that that changes things. So I'm going to go to the 2017 Rose Bowl. I had a feeling you would. And to be honest, I know I'm giving Corey a hard time. I consider putting it on the list, but I was just like, I, I can't put a game that we lost on the list. I, I just, I can't. I can't put a game we lost on the list. Foreshadowing, possibly. Um, so, that game in particular, my brother and I almost got in a fist fight during the game because he said the one thing you never tell a football fan in the middle of the game. Never tell a football fan, just calm down, it's just a game. Because I think I turned I turned to him like the exorcist and just go, shut up. <laughs> he goes, don't tell me to shut up. And we, we were, we're just going at it. And my grandparents and my dad were like, hey, guys, relax. 
because you know I I it was just a mess of emotions that day, and then I afterward I just felt like I got kicked in the stomach when I watched that kicker dab down the field after he won, and I just I I don't even like thinking about it. I don't even like seeing Saquon's run from that game because I just know what happens, and they're like oh look at this the, the and the run was awesome it was one of the best runs I've ever seen, but I don't even like watching it because I'm like yeah it was for nothing. Yeah, you gotta appreciate art for what art is, Sean. Yeah, I, I just and I, and I hear you, and that's probably not the right way to be, but it just breaks my heart. I mean, I can't help it. <laughs> All right, so I got what two left, right? Okay. So we're. At least I am going to go down a little bit here. You know, we've been all in the major bowl games. I'm going to go down a level here. In one of the most entertaining games I've ever seen. Really. I mean, just pure football games. Take the teams out of it. Take the two teams that were playing out of it. Just awesome game. Underrated atmosphere. I'm going to go with the 2014 Pinstripe Bowl. Christian Hackenberg plays the best game of his life. I mean, he looked the part that day and just dissects Don Brown's defense at the time. Don Brown was at Boston College and Akeel Lynch has a great game. Uh, Boston College plays also play, plays really well. Just a really well played game. And Penn State wins it at the end with Sam Ficken kicking, kicking an extra point in overtime. So their kicker missed their extra point. And then we go down, we score a touchdown, Sam Ficken makes it. And it made what was a mediocre season in 2014 feel a little better. Because if we, we ended up only going seven and six, but I feel like if we went six and seven, just would have left a bad taste in everybody's mouth and would have just been kind of a downer. And it felt like we were propelling a little bit into 2015, even though 2015 ended up being pretty much as average as the previous season. But... Some really important things happened in that game. Like Chris Godwin, it was his coming out party. And I feel like if you were to take anything from that game and take it to the future, I mean, Hack didn't carry over, but Godwin did. And that's when you really thought, like, wow, this guy could play. And, um, yeah, just a great game to be. I was at the game. It happened to be a really warm day in New York City. I think it was like it, warm for December. I think it was like high 40s at kickoff. Might have dipped out of the low 40s by the time the game ended. Just a awesome day uh, with with my pals at the game. So 2014 Penn State Bowl. That's a really good pick. That that's that's a solid pick right there. Andre Williams was that the running back's name for Boston College? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was some good talent on the field that day. Yeah, no, that was uh. He was a good running back, and and yeah, the Godwin part was absolutely true. Yeah, that 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 that's a good pick. That, that's a good value right there. Um, that may or may not have been my next pick. Um, I feel like I do this every time with my last pick, and lately I've been having the fifth pick before you, but having the ninth overall pick. And it really kind of kind of stinks sometimes. Um, but, hey, I'm a sucker for history, and I'm just going to go with the 1948 Cotton Bowl to finish it off. That was mine. <laughs> I mean, we just talked a bunch. If you haven't watched that episode, go back and watch it. The 
the men of 47. I think that's two episodes, three episodes ago now. Maybe, oh, maybe it's more than that. Four episodes ago. Um, go, go watch that. We, we break it down. Wally Triplett versus Doak Walker, 13, 13 tie. It's the only tie we'll probably have on this list, uh, versus SMU. Obviously the history behind the game. Just so I, I don't want to go through it all again because we went through it so many times, but yeah, I, I'm a sucker for it. What can I say? And a little pre-Paterno Bowl as well, which there weren't very many of those to choose from. There is another on the list you could choose, Sean, if you wanted to go that route. There is, there is. And yeah, I had the 48, uh, I had the 48 Cotton Bowl too uh, with my next pick. But, um, you know, there's, and then after that, I mean, there's a, there's a few of the candidates here. And I'm going to go with the 1989 Holiday Bowl. And that was between Penn State and BYU. So it was Joe Paterno versus Lavelle Edwards. Not a great Penn State team in 88. But Blair Thomas just goes bananas. And if you know anything about Lavelle Edwards' offense, the ball's going up. Um, And Ty Detmer had a big day as well. Um, And just a really back-and-forth game. And one that I wish I was alive to see, be alive to see in person, because I think I would have been thoroughly entertained all game. And, you know, as far as just the quality of the game to watch, I went with that one over my first honorable mention, which will be the Capital One Bowl in 09. I just think it was a better game to watch. You're talking about the muddy Capital One Bowl? Yes. You say you weren't. Do you say you were at that? No, 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 no. I said that was my first honorable mention. Oh, really? That one? I happened to be at that one. It was an awful game to be at. Um, yes, it wasn't great to watch on TV either. No, but that did end with a I'm field happy goal. Happy I was warm. <laughs> no, the '89 pick's a solid sleeper pick. Um, Capital One Bowl didn't make my list, but I mean that LSU team probably beats that Penn State team if it's in normal conditions. Um, I well, can't remember the wide receiver for LSU off the top of my head. Brendan Holiday. Now there's another guy too. Played for Carolina, I think. Wade Ball. No, was he on that team? Grab up Dwayne Bow. Some dude with Maybe long hair. Wasn't. I knew Holiday was a fast guy. Trying to make me look up 2009 LSU football roster. And Jefferson was your quarterback, right? Yeah. And ended up winning um, national championship. They also had – oh, no, that was the previous year. I think they won the title the next year, didn't they? Or did they already win it by that point? On defense, they had Patrick Peterson, who's a corner. Brandon LaFell was a wide receiver, I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the whole talk all week was how they how's Pets State going to match up with their speed and, well, Mother Nature intervened, so that's how we were able to keep up with their speed. Yeah. Exactly. Now that's a, yeah, that was, um, how high up did you have the 2022 Rose Bowl? I'm just curious. Uh, I had it, I had it, uh, 13th. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I couldn't there. put, I couldn't put it above, above these games though, personally. Yeah. What about the 1981 season, 1982 Fiesta Bowl? Against beat USC twenty six to ten. Mm. Yeah, I 
God, that one slipped through the cracks for me, honestly. But that was a huge game for Penn State because we shut down um, O.J. Simpson, pal Marcus Allen, and held him to very few yards, and he won the Heisman Trophy that year. So, Good honorable mention. Um, very, very good. Very good find. Had 1977 Fiesta Bowl against Arizona State on mine. Yep. I had 73 Orange Bowl against LSU, too. Orange. Yeah, seventy three season, seventy four bowl, right? Or yeah, yeah, um, yeah, sixteen and nine. Yeah, I had that. That one I didn't have on there because Penn State only had one hundred eighty five yards of offense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but. and then you know, beating Ricky Williams in ninety six, uh, the ninety seven Fiesta Bowl, that was a good one. Ricky didn't play a whole lot, but nice game to get over Texas. And then the one I was mentioning earlier, the 1959 Liberty Bowl, Penn State beat Bear Bryant 7 nothing. Galen Hall had the only touchdown pass in that game. How about that? Or actually, I don't know if it was a touchdown pass. Touchdown. But um, that was their first bowl game since 1948. So, and so really, they only went to, was it three bowl games before Joe Paterno? Does that sound about right? Uh, three or four? No, I think. Joe took over in 66, so, yeah, Rip had him in a lot, 59, oh, okay. 61, 62. Now, Joe was an assistant at the time. Yeah, right. So. That's true. But, um, honestly, I thought it was going to be a harder list, but, and I guess it was kind of was. I mean, there's, like, 10, maybe 13 really solid choices, but when you think about how many bowl games Penn State's been to, like, the ones that stick out, stick out. In my opinion. Yeah, we're not going through like hundreds of players like uh, other ones. And not that we look at a hun- at hundreds of players, but, you know, there's just not as many to pick from. So it wasn't too difficult. Uh, but. Yeah, this was fun. I liked it. I like the history. Yeah, this was a good one for sure. Um, I want to give a shout out. Penn State Hockey starts their NCAA tournament run. Uh, wrestling starts their national championship potentially run as well. Uh, men's volleyball. Here's a random shout out for you. Beat number one Hawaii the other last week now. So I wanted to give a little love to them. So Penn State Athletics, full swing right now. I mean, they are. Baseball, I think, is actually doing above average too. Yeah. And wrestling won the Big Ten two weeks ago. So yeah. Just want to piggyback on that. Yeah. Penn State Athletics looking good. Looking good. And hopefully the basketball team will give us some hopefully by the time we talk to you guys next week, basketball team's still playing. Yeah. You uh you already satisfied with the season or how how much does a, a win mean to you? I mean, I think right now it's pretty much gravy. My goal at the beginning of the season was to make the tournament. Yeah, we already made it. Yeah. But now that we're there, yeah, I want to win because I think we should beat yeah. A&M, frankly. Now that you're there, I you mean, might as well win Texas, the whole damn thing. Yeah, Texas is going to be tough. I mean, Texas could win could win the national championship. Like, I, you know, the tournament is weird because, yes, everybody has a chance, but it's deceiving. Everybody has a chance game to game, but Cinderella doesn't win the national championship. There's only about eight to 10 teams that realistically could win it. And Texas is one of them. And could we beat them? Yeah. But it's going to be, that's going to be tough. And hell, A&M's going to be tough. So maybe the toothpaste guys could take care of Texas for us. 
Yeah, yeah. I Colgate, you never know. Uh, yep. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, let's be day and up. Hey, we kept, we hadn't talked to you guys for two weeks, and we kept it under two hours. So you're welcome. How about that? So, um, we will be back next week. We are going to start maybe talking some positions, I think, Sean. And maybe we'll do two next week. We'll come back with a Penn State draft. And All right. Probably have some more news regarding spring practice. So, hey, we're, I don't, I hate when people say, well, like, Penn State football is right around the corner in March because I don't think that's fair. We're like across the street. Yeah, around the corner, you can't start saying until like July. Yeah, we're like, like, we got off the train. We're in the right neighborhood, but we haven't even, we haven't even gone out of the subway yet. Like, we're, we got, yeah. Yeah, it's not even April yet. <laughs> But it's it's here. it's around, but it's around the corner. <laughs> it's, it's around the corner. Um, and then all right. the spring game will come, and you'll be like, "Oh, I just wanted to start now." And then you're like, "Oh yeah." We have the spring game is probably <laughs> the dissatisfying thing that is around college football. I mean, you expect it to be, and I should should mention Franklin expects to have a true scrimmage this year. That was something they weren't able to really do last year because of offensive line depth knock on wood so hopefully they're able to do that but it is just so unsatisfying to watch the spring game half the time i mean it's really not it's amazing how they go from the product they put on the field in the spring to what shows up in september like it's just it's just hysterical to me honestly yeah because last year just a little behind the scenes Corey and i were texting kind of nervously about Aller. we were like Aller's gonna be okay right right yeah was it did dom deluca pick him up yeah yeah, he did. It was a good we foreshadowing like, to Dom DeLuca's good season. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot yeah, about Dom DeLuca. DeLuca. DeLuca played really well. That's why I was like, this guy can play. Yep. I mean, he I was, thought he yeah. could, and he ended up having a nice season. Oh, so, his right, pasta sauce, too. There you go. Shout out to Dom DeLuca's pasta sauce. <laughs> um, I, all right, guys. Are you good? I'm good. Yep. All right, well, for Sean Kane, I'm Corey Vestoki. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. If you made it this far in the YouTube video, please like and subscribe. Uh, and if you're listening on podcasts and you haven't already subscribed, you're an idiot. And secondly, if you haven't written us a five-star review, we'll send you a sticker if you do. So just keep that in mind. Let us know when you do it, and we'll send you a sticker. Uh, join our NCAA tournament group. I'll probably just or reply to our you know thing tomorrow so it's at the top so you guys can find it and we'll we'll give out something for that as well so bye everybody hopefully we'll be uh saying good things about and say basketball about this time tomorrow bye everybody have a good night